I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable high-speed internet. For our first episode, I am delighted to welcome Ernesto Falcone, Senior Legislative Counsel at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Ernesto and I discuss the need for nationwide fiber infrastructure in the United States and what's holding that up, what to expect from the incoming Biden administration on the broadband front, and what the pandemic has revealed about broadband policy in the U.S. Ernesto, thank you so much for joining me. It's really great to speak with you. It's great to be here. So you published a piece at the end of 2020 about the U.S. being starved of its broadband potential, pointing out a series of arguments that EFF has made about the need for a universal fiber infrastructure plan. So I'm wondering if you can share a bit about EFF's perspective on why universal fiber is important to closing the digital divide and what you think is standing in the way of a robust fiber build in the U.S specifically compared to other countries where we've seen it uh, kind of more of a a focus? So the Electronic Frontier Foundation, we're a a public interest law firm uh, that have been around for 30 years. We we started at the kind of the advent of the commercial internet for most people. In in fact, the founders of of EFF, some of them who uh, built their own ISPs back in the 90s, um, were really kind of the early technologists and leaders in the space. And, you know, you fast forward to today, we're, we're a group of lawyers and engineers that work on these issues of um, speech, privacy, innovation, and, um, you know, basically ensuring that your rights and uh, abilities to participate in society are preserved or enhanced as technology grows. Uh, in the context of speech, you know, it's ensuring that uh, your, your freedom of speech rights are protected in, in the forums that are available to you today in terms of privacy issues like surveillance. Uh, and, and ensuring that the government doesn't know more than it's entitled to, you know, under your Fourth Amendment rights, uh, especially as surveillance has gone, become, become so pervasive. In the broadband access context, it really boils down to the fact that if you are not connected to a 21st century ready connection today, uh, you are not participating in society to your fullest. Um, healthcare, education, remote work, you know, all these things that we're kind of thrown into, right, are... are contingent on what your infrastructure is at home, you know, the connectivity you have. And if it's uh, less than adequate, you are, you are, you are, uh, you know, irreparably harmed. Uh, You know, I think you're seeing this mostly very, in a very consequential space in the education uh, area. Absolutely. Um, And, and so, you know, a handful of years ago, EFF tasked me and a few of other my colleagues to really dig into what what needs to be done to get what is what is the 21st century internet how do what does it look like for everyone uh what are the mistakes of the past that have denied us getting there today uh and how can we learn from them and uh we concluded that fiber fiber to the home fiber infrastructure is the universal 21st century medium uh Mm -hmm. and i think we've been proven right since we've concluded that uh, about two years ago okay um, and what would you say is standing in the way of, of the U.S. Um, committing to f- a full fiber infrastructure? So it's because there's a whole bunch of slow internet monopolists that, mm-hmm. that exist in the market, right? There's lots of players who have invested money to build yesterday's infrastructure and are, uh, and I would say probably the, the, the biggest uh, elephant in the room or the, the biggest barrier for thoughtful policy in the space is the cable industry. Right. Uh, cable companies know 
that their systems can be replaced by fiber and fiber will outpace whatever they can do, not just on speeds, but on price. And so long as they can hold that off for as many years as possible, they will remain the only choice for high-speed access. And I'm sure all your listeners agree with that in that if you wanted high-speed access, you're going to cable and nothing else unless you have a fiber option. Right, right. So that uh, that does, you know, call to mind one of the reasons that I've wanted to actually start having these discussions about the digital divide, because we've heard about the digital divide for so long. We've been talking about it for so long. And over the years, there has been a lot of funding that's been put toward universal broadband. And yet it feels like not a lot has changed. So I wonder if you could unpack that a little bit more and and where the issue is there. Is that in the regulations themselves? Is it in what we're striving for with regard to quote unquote universal broadband? Why, where has all that money gone? So a lot of the problems we've run into uh, stem from uh, low expectations. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of those low expectations are pushed by the industry that sells the slow internet access. Um, you know, they'll argue uh, it's too expensive to give people these these kind of this kind of upgrade, this kind of infrastructure, these kind of investments. Um, whereas you can give us a fraction of the money, and we can deliver whatever minimum speed you're asking for. Um, you know, today that's 25 down and three up. Which, if you're uh, hearing that number, and you think that that's a useless speed for me today. You're right. Uh, for the most part, that that upload side of it, three, uh, doesn't handle most of the needs you have today. And, um, you know, they push these really low metrics because, one, they can meet them with the old wires and the old infrastructure. And, um, and two, they can do it on the cheap. So that kind of prevents uh, the government rationalizing long-term large investments, uh, multi-decade investments, to, to not just, like, achieve a certain broadband speed and then we're kind of done with the digital divide, but, but actually eliminate the digital divide, uh, make it a thing of the past like electricity and water. Right. So the U.S. government is about to see a significant shift with Joe Biden um, as president and Democrats in control of Congress. So I'm wondering what you want to see from this administration and Congress on the fiber front and what you think might be uh, potentially more possible now. And is there anything that is already in Congress, you know, whether passed by the House, installed in the Senate or at least in in progress that we could pass quickly um, to move forward with fiber? So, so the Electronic Frontier Foundation is 100% on board with um, Majority Whip James Clyburn's legislation. It's called the Affordable Accessible Internet Act, mm-hmm. and what that bill would do would you know, effectively you know institute the national response necessary that we've seen in the past with electricity and water, um, and 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 create a a, a infrastructure program that would um, install broadband access at a 100 down 100 up uh, symmetrical low latency speed which is essentially technical speak for fiber. Uh, you, you really can't deliver that uh, in a realistic way without most, of the, if not all of that being fiber infrastructure. And, um, you know, the program would spend, you know, $80 billion in infrastructure money on the, on the front end, as well as a long-term $40 billion um, loan program, uh, kind of, again, similar to how we did electricity. And, um, most estimates I've read uh, indicate you can you can get up to the 98th, 99th percentile of coverage with that kind of investment. It's a huge amount of money. But here's the thing. Y- we will never have to spend money on broadband infrastructure again after that. Uh, not in my lifetime. You know, I'll be dead in the grave before we have to think about, you know, what's the next type of infrastructure we would have to do, you know, likely doubling up or tripling up the fiber infrastructure to keep up with demand. Um, but that's like 22nd century kind of worries, right? So everything preceding that has always kind of tried to reach bare minimums uh, on a very short time frame. 
And, uh, you know, quite frankly, most of that has resulted in money, um, you know, kind of going in a pile and being set on fire. I mean, mm-hmm. much of this old infrastructure we've subsidized and propped up and we're still doing today. We're still subsidizing 10-1 today in some places um, with lots and lots of federal money. And all of that infrastructure that's being subsidized to deliver that kind of speed is is useless. Uh, and so right. um, it's wasted investment. And uh, and that's that's kind of the danger. Uh, you know, if we if we do this wrong, we'll do it wrong by un, by lowering the estimates and lowering the metrics and lowering what we want to achieve with with kind of investments um, versus really investing along a mindset of what is good for 2050, 2060, 2070 and beyond. Okay, got it. Um, and, you know, Congress did pass and the president signed uh, relief packages this year, and some of the money in those packages went toward broadband projects. Um, I'm wondering what your, if you have any uh, input on, on how those projects might be helping communities or not. Is it the same problem that we've just been creating over and over again? In particular, the CARES Act funded projects, I believe, need to be completed by the end of 2020. So I, I'm just wondering um, what your perspective is on uh, the effectiveness of the money from those bills and going toward broadband. So the the challenge here is, I think um, everyone involved in the policymaking decision space here has to uh, con- kind of confront this reality. Um, the current approach has underinvested in these in lots of these parts of the country, in, not just in rural, but in mm-hmm. lots of parts of the urban market as well. Um, for the better part of 10 to 15 years. Right. And we're not going to fix that in three to six months. Uh, most of the construction timelines, I, I understand, is a five-year or longer time range. So if we, are, if we are spending money with the goal of do what you can to solve this in three months, we're basically talking about mobile hotspots and Wi-Fi and, and some real um, jerry-rigged solutions that will give you a temporary Band-Aid and, and will yeah. become not useful in a few years. And we have to do it. That's the, the reality of the pandemic. People need help right now, so we should help them. But w- we should also be thinking about, uh, much like as, as now uh, incoming President Biden you know, has articulated, build back better. What does that mean in the broadband context? That means replacing the old infrastructure of the agency monopoly era of a century ago uh, with the, the infrastructure for the next century. And um, China is already doing this. The EU is doing it across the board. Uh, lots of parts of, of the Asian market is already doing this. And if the United States doesn't do it, we should not be surprised that the sil- next Silicon Valley is in China and not here. Uh, right. We should not be surprised that there will be the next set of killer apps that require you know gigabit symmetrical low latency speeds. Right. And vast majority of Americans can't even touch them right, and make use of them. Uh, yeah. These are things that are going to happen. Uh, and whether we're prepared to address them now so that we're ready in 10 years from now, uh, is really up to this Congress. And, and this is really the year uh, to make this decision. Yeah. Um, are you optimistic? Very optimistic, actually. Uh, the the Kleiber legislation I mentioned that really does a national fiber program, that already passed this House of Representatives. That already right. has a majority vote. Uh, the same members that voted in favor are there, and the majority of them are there. So so this will get out of the House of Representatives again. You know, I don't know which, what's the package and the plan, right? That's going to be up to leadership and in, in the in the members of the Congress. But, um, you know, the past Senate, the last year's Senate, didn't even take it up in consideration. And quite frankly, if they're taking their cues from the cable industry, they're being told everything is fine. Nothing is wrong. Mm-hmm. We don't need to do Got anything it. out there. And um, that's obviously wrong. That's obviously wrong if you live out in the rest of the country here. And, you know, I think the 
the intention of build back better being the, the theme of this presidency uh, means recovery across the board, not just on you know vaccinations, but um, you know what does our future economy look like, and what is our future healthcare system and education system, and, and all the things that require robust connectivity uh, are going to be systemically addressed. I, I do think the the will and the energy is there, um, and quite frankly, it's it's really kind of because the the willingness to invest the the necessary dollars um, is there. Uh, mm-hmm. When we were confronted with a similar dynamic, and I was a, a house staffer back the, these years in 2009 mm-hmm. um, during the financial collapse. So, you know, the banks collapsed and, and the economy was in free fall and President Obama took office. You know, we, we really didn't know exactly how much we needed to spend to really um, concretely end the digital divide, right? It was, right. Um, and we, nor did we have, I would say, a clear understanding of what's the right approach. Um, you had, Lots of different types of, of technologies and, and the, the need for access in terms of the speeds you needed just wasn't as high as it is today. Um, and so lots of different technologies kind of reached that and, and there wasn't really a clear understanding of the limitations of some of the you know, older networks. Um, you even had talk of broadband over power line and stuff like that, you know, and satellite was there. And, and uh, so, you know, we put $8 billion uh, towards broadband and you know, quite frankly, the the money that went towards fiber with that money, those networks still exist and they're still being used right now, just fine. Uh, and the money that did it, uh, you know, not so well. And, right. you know, I, I think we just didn't appreciate the extent of the problem as well as the, the size of the government response needed to be to really bring it to a conclusion. And, and I think the appreciation is growing, obviously, now, given the, again, given the fact that you would never have seen an $80 billion uh, construction package on broadband come out of the House of Representatives absent the pandemic. Being understood that the pandemic has revealed is if your community has fiber already in the ground, your capacity to respond to the the emergency is is substantially better than if you lack it. Mm -hmm. So to give you two communities, right? Uh, You know, there's these, there's uh, school districts in, in Texas, for example, that has had to spend millions 10, 10 million plus on purchasing hotspots, mobile hotspots right. from like Verizon, for example, to just hand it out to these families to connect them. Meanwhile, if you look at Chattanooga, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, the uh, EPB, which is their municipal ISP, which has fibered up the entire community, they have announced that they will give low-income families, 28,000 students, free internet for 10 years for a total cost of $8.2 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you think about that, uh, you know, and I and I checked, you know, I checked in with them to confirm, um, you know, is two dollars to three dollars per student per month? Like, what is that covering in your cost? And I and I had the strong suspicion that that's the exact cost of delivering data at, and what they delivered is, is 100 symmetrical um, because it's very cheap to add people to the network in terms of your expenses, because uh, it's just there's just they don't really impact your congestion and you can handle lots of traffic. And uh, yeah, that's basically what it is. I mean, it's basically, you know, if you wanted to give away free broadband at cost, yeah. if you have the fiber already in the ground, uh, you can do it for very little money, you know, 2 to $3 right. a month per kid. And for, you know, $8 million for 10 years free internet at, at high speeds beyond what you need today is incredible. Right. Yeah. Um, similarly to, you know, the recent uh, package that passed uh, the House and Senate at the end of the year, you know, the emergency benefit program, right? The, the intention of there is to, to subsidize about $50 um you know of your bill in terms yeah. of of needing access 
if you're a resident in San Francisco and you have access to um, uh, this private company called Sonic, which does fiber to the home uh, throughout the Bay Area, uh, they sell it at 40 bucks a month. So a $50 subsidy will give you free internet at a gigabit symmetrical because the you know, this fiber company is there. But if you're uh, someone like myself who has only Comcast, I only have Comcast in my backyard here, um, I pay Wilver $100 for high-speed access. And so, sure, it'd be, you know, I'm not in need of the subsidy, but I imagine people in my footsteps, in my kind of community, um, that subsidy is nice. It helps, but it, it, it still means they have to pay a lot for a lot less. Um, right. And so this is, a, this is an affordability crisis as well as a digital divide issue. Absolutely. If you, if you, if you have communities, and, 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 and I guess the related problem to this, and something that EFF and many other groups are asking the new Biden FCC to address, is this issue of called uh, digital redlining, um, right. where where fiber is going to wealthy neighborhoods and and avoiding low income neighborhoods? If we care about how do we get free internet and low cost internet to low income people, people who have limited means, particularly in the pandemic, and we're not thinking about how to create the infrastructure means of delivering that, you know, we're missing the boat. And um, you know, that's the one piece I want to kind of highlight is. Um, it's not just about speeds and not just about innovation and, and all the cool things you could do with the internet as it grows, but it is also about this concrete um, need to figure out how do we help people who can't afford even a dollar a month uh, have a means of connecting to the internet to be a part of society as well. And, and fiber gives, gives you that means. Thank you so much, Ernesto Falcone, for joining me today to kick off our new series and for the important work you do on broadband policy. And thank you to our producer, Tian Fu, for making this episode. Stay tuned for more episodes of The Divide and be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for additional interviews and insights from the team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.